extremely well. But I think a lot of times we overlook some things within the story of Jonathan and David. And what I am, I want to teach on this morning is loyalty. And when you think of loyalty, and I'm going to ask you to define it in a minute, so I want you to be thinking about it. But when you think of loyalty, sometimes we think of loyalty between people, which Jonathan and David uh, really they epitomized what, what that really is about. But on the other side of it, and this is the thing that plagues me more than anything else, there is a loyalty to God and a loyalty to God's Word. And that's what I see beginning to erode more than anything else. And I'm sorry if, if I offend you in any way uh, this morning, but I want to say this, and if this is offensive, uh, that's okay. I told, I, I was just discussing this yesterday, uh, actually last couple of days with my wife. I said, you know, I prefer the charismatic movement where they used to just split off churches and go start churches than what we see today. And what we see today is churches that still keep the name, but they are charismatic. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, things that I see that, I, well, I don't see. Thank God Robertson was delivered. Year, well, no, I never have been subjected to Facebook. You know how I feel about it. But I hear things that's put on Facebook where people try to use the Bible to prove a point that is absolutely unprovable with the Bible. And if I had a chance to get into some of that today, I would, but I won't, I won't do that uh, because there's just some things. Let, let me put it very, very straight and very blunt. There are things in the Bible that God tells us to do that every one of us don't do. Okay? I see that, and if, you are, if you're true in your relationship with God, you would be honest about it. Don't try to take and twist the Scripture to fit what you want it to say. Just be honest with yourself. The only way to overcome and really serve God as a Christian is to be able to look at something and say, I'm not doing that. You know, I know I'm not doing that. I'm not going to try to explain it away. I need to work on me, not try to change what it's saying. And now you've got Robertson 6 and 4. We can dismiss and go. Okay, now 1 Samuel 23, 8 through 18. 1 Samuel 23, 8 through 18. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keliah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief. See that? There it is. Right there it is. All of us secretly practice mischief. You like that word mischief, don't you? I'm just better than saying we're sinners. <laughs> I'm a mischievous person. You know? You know, I, mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring hither the ephod. Then said David, O Lord, God of Israel, thy servant, hath certainly heard that, that Saul seeketh to come to Kaliah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kaliah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then said David, Will the men of Keliah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. Then David and his men, which were about 600, rose and departed out of Keliah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keliah, and he forbore to go, to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul besought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David unto the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel. I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And they two made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. God, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Bless, keep us, strengthen us, open our minds and our hearts. Jesus, touch me. Lord, let me bring it forth in the way that you would have me bring it forth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, with the lifting up of hand, hand, singular, a profound definition of loyalty, good definition of loyalty, possibly a good definition of loyalty. Go ahead. 
an unconditional, and I heard that. Everybody speak just like he did. Unconditional commitment to somebody and what? Some, something and somebody or somebody. That's a good one. Anybody else? Go ahead. Total allegiance. Anybody else? Total allegiance. These are some really great definitions. Anybody else? Go ahead. I'm sorry, give me a real yell. Undivided commitment. That's a good one, too. How old are you? That's pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. He looked it up. Were you on the Internet? Get off that Internet. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Richard Davis made this statement. He's talking about being loyal to death. And he, he says, he said, loyalty is one of the most admirable qualities that a person can exhibit. He said, perhaps one thing that adds to its value and its rarity today, and that's the truth. There's value and rarity, and I think that that is what makes it so commendable. Uh, it, it's something when you, uh, honestly, and if any of you that's been married any length of time, if you ever, I, I've noticed this just within the last two or three years, um, uh, boy, you hate saying something like this, but I got, I got to. Uh, my wife and I, we, we, we both had the same arthritis doctor. And it's a big joke when you go in, it's Ricky and Vicky. <laughs> we go in at the same time, you know, and, and, and of course they all remember because of the names. You know? <laughs> we go in at the same time. But the nurse was in there and she was going through the stuff that they do. And she said, uh, she was talking about some, I, I draw trouble. It doesn't matter who, you know, people always want to tell me their troubles. And uh, she said, talking about her, her marriage, and, and my wife spoke up, and she said, December 29th, we'll be married 39 years. And, uh, and you know, this, and this has happened, but this woman just says, 39 years? Yeah, and I said, to the same woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 39 years. And it's like it's some kind. Back when I was a kid, that was not that unusual. But now it's unusual. Don't you think we get into the loyalty issue right there? Don't we just get into that that issue of loyalty because it's just less and less. And in this 21st century, you don't see it. There's less loyalty to employers, to employees. And and I'm granted. I know that especially in this uh, this climate today that people almost are forced to get out and look for better jobs. I realize that. I'm not, but then there are some people that it doesn't make any difference what the job would be. They wouldn't be loyal any length of time simply because they're too lazy to get out of bed in the morning or they don't want to work the hours, you know, whatever it may be. It, you know, there's just a less people don't protect what they have. And some, somehow I believe that adds to the climate that we're living in today. I think it's more than just the fact of whether our economy is in the tank. Why is our economy in the tank? It's leadership, granted, but it's also the people. People just don't care anymore. Just give me something for nothing, and, I, you know, I won't be committed to you. You're not committed to me. And, you know, the Bible tells us that as we would that men do unto us, that we do unto them likewise. If I want someone to be loyal to me, then do I not need to be loyal to them? You know, you see that. You see people are no longer loyal to traditions. They're, it's just a rare commodity, you know. Uh, and this is, this is interesting. I've known this for some time. And one of the, the, one of the things, uh, a Canadian goose, and I, I've, I've used this somewhat, but I've gotten in a little bit more detail. Canadian geese will live up to 25 years. And when the two geese mate, they mate for life. If one of them is killed, they never mate again. They will, they were, and, and a female will stick with her young until it's time for them to get out. She will give her life for her young. When they, they actually go through, and it's been proven, when one of them is killed, even if it's a young one that is killed, that the female goose will go into, she'll go off by herself and actually grieve for it. This is a goose. You know, it, it makes you kind of feel bad, doesn't it? You think that a goose has got that much integrity and loyalty, yet we don't have any. You think about it. So they, they respond in that way. It, it's something. You know, we need loyalty today. We, 
We need believers who are loyal unto death, loyal to their friends, their family, their church, their God. We need those who are loyal to right principles and loyal to truth. We need those who are loyal unto death. And that's what we need to be loyal unto death. When I took vows to my wife and to death, do we part? She's tried to kill me hundreds of times, and I just keep coming back. (laughs) The word loyalty, can anybody tell me this right off the top of your head? Does loyalty appear, the word loyal, appear in the Bible? Come on, some of you Bible scholars. Does it appear in the Bible? We all know that's in Hezekiah 3 and 6, right? How about apple pie 7 and 8? Anybody? Come on. Anybody want to venture a guess? Hold a hand up. Is it? It's not. No, it's not. I thought it was too. (laughs) The question was, it's not. But the principles of loyalty is found in faith. The principles of loyalty are found in faith. So you, so you know, and how much, how much do we, we see about being faithful in the Scripture? So that principle is actually there. And no bond of loyalty is better displayed than what I made mention of earlier of David and Jonathan. In fact, the name Jonathan means Jehovah has given. Jehovah has given. So it's in terms, even the term Jonathan means God has given someone to somebody. You know, some of you folks need to, maybe you think I'm getting a little bit out there on this, but you need to be careful what you name your kids. You know, I was thinking of Jonathan, you know, God has given, what a great name. You know, that, that was, and I'm sure you knew that when you named him that. Yeah, yeah, that was a great name. And, and you know, you stop and think, and sometimes you can almost take the name. Now, not always, so some of you have got bad names, you know. Don't, don't think I'm not picking on you. You know, but, but you know, sometimes you can almost take that name, and, and, uh, and you can see the characteristics of a, of a child coming out. If you define what that name is, you'll see some of those characteristics coming out. You know, Rick is the comes from, from Richard, Richard the Lionhearted. More of a pussycat-hearted, I think. <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's all the same principle, I guess. We, we'll all just go there. So, you know, they, so God strategically placed Jonathan in David's life for the very time that David needed a genuine friend. Uh, and really, Jonathan proved to be the greatest, the best friend that David had ever had. You can study, and that's what we're doing here a little bit, and the study of that relationship between David and Jonathan, scholars disagree as to the age difference. Some people think that possibly Jonathan was just a little older than David. Some say that they were probably the same age. And it's kind of, to me, just looking at it, you can't prove it biblically, but to me, I would think Jonathan was a little bit older than David. It's just the way that he behaved, the way that he acted. I, I think that he probably was just a little bit older and, uh, you know, again, they could have been close to the same age. Many people have had that, that, uh, that devastating experience of being betrayed. And the one thing that we see, that Jonathan never betrayed David. He never betrayed him. But we've had that. How many of you in here, just, just raise your hand. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? I think everybody has at one time or the other been betrayed by someone. And, and you know, a, a friend who betrays the confidence of another is not really a friend at all. So we really can't call that person a friend if you've been betrayed by them. Uh, and this is well il- illustrated. It, you know, some of you probably know, uh, I've heard the name uh, Jan Paderewski. Um, and I, I, this, it's, a, it's a great story here that, that's told by him. It said, when Jan Paderewski was to leave his native Poland to play his first recital in London, he asked an influential compatriot to give him a letter of introduction to a leading figure in Britain's musical world who might be of assistance should anything go awry or amiss. And the, and the friend gave him the letter in a sealed envelope, and he took it unopened with him to London. He hoped everything would... Uh, kind of go smoothly and he wouldn't actually need to use it and all did go well at his recital and Paderewski did not need the letter of recommendation his debut was a success and no snags developed 
And some years later, while going through his papers, he came upon the letter uh, and opened it, and it read this way. He said, this will introduce Jan Paderewski, who plays the piano, for which he demonstrates no conspicuous talent. Paderewski is one of the greatest piano players there was. So his friend sent him one and said, I'm introducing him to you, but he's not very good at piano playing. Now, what if he'd have given that letter to this person? That would have swayed his thinking. But instead, he proved on his own. Now, can you imagine the feeling that even years later, this was supposed to be a person that you trusted, and he sent that kind of letter? i had been afraid to send it. I'm afraid he'd opened it ahead of time. You know, but, but he just said, you know, he's not that good at it. So it was a, an attempted betrayal here failed. Now, God seems to like to work by twos. Think about this. The, the Scripture demonstrates this principle repeatedly. Moses and Aaron, Saul and, and Jonathan, Peter and John, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas. Jesus sent out the 72 by two. He shows how well that God recognized and knows our human feelings. Few people like to work alone. Very few people like to work alone. Now, um, just, just anybody in here, I, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a couch. What I'm about to say here, and, uh, it's a little. Uh, I'm gonna pat it a bit. Anybody in here like to work alone? I do. Now I, I read this, and I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a lone person too. I, I can't help it. I'm just that way. Uh, I guess, and, and you know, maybe. Maybe that's insecurities that we have. I, I don't know. I can't really put it. Uh, even when I was in the military, um, I, I remember we went through a, a a course at the end. It was a night course, and you had all the, the drill sergeant instructors. They were stretched through this swamp, and they had trip flares, and they had you know machine gun blanks, and they were catching people and throwing them in and beating the fire. You know, make you think they were beating the fire out of them. Just that whole we went through that. Well. I got separated from from the squad, and I made it. But I just did it alone, you know. I taking care of of uh, as odd. I'm a pastor, but taking care of others in that situation, I was better at that time doing it by myself. I went the hardest route you could go. I knew that I, none of those guys would go through a swamp that was up their neck, and that's what I did. And and you you know, I just worked better and made it to my object objective alone. And and to my to maybe to my own fault here that's how i feel as a pastor is that when i first um, when i first started pastoring i had people give me a lot of um, information <laughs> that's the best way for me to put it this is the way you need to do this this is the way you need to do that and i went to god with all of it and i did it god's way and my way as elvis says and um and so I, I, you know, I did it, and it turned out okay. And I had I taken some of that, that this kind of pushed me to the point. Sometimes, sometimes there's nothing wrong with helping. We believe in mentoring and encouraging, and and but sometimes, uh, when it comes to peers, that you have to really look hard at information that you're getting from them to be sure that information is you know is really good for you not every church is going to be able to go what causes this church to work outside of the staying by the principles of the word of god but the various things that we may do to outreach may not be the same that they do somewhere else and you can't take those same things and apply them to the church that's why the bible says they that measure themselves among themselves are not wise now, everything is a little bit different in how we, how we work and how we do. I do believe, and, you know, the Bible says they worked in twos. They had each other's back. And I believe in the right circumstances with the right people, there's nothing greater than that. And I think some people, you know, the Bible says two can put 10,000 to flight. And we need the unity. I believe in that. I believe in the power of unity. But I also believe there comes a time that a person cannot necessarily, and it might, well, there again, you know, I'm just, I'm just talking right now. There again, you know, you may disagree completely, and it's fine if you disagree with this because we got Bible says it to work better. I, I understand that. But you just have to be careful that you don't get so dependent on someone else's opinion that you miss something that is verified right here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything should be checked with this. And on an individual that can come up and give you, well, this worked or that worked. You know, I, they're, 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 and they're, they're doing, we're, we're living in a, a different age. There's no doubt. Uh, 
I believe the principles of the Scripture and what has always worked still does well. You know, I think it was, I think it was Winston Churchill that made the statement, as long as you can look in the past, as long as you can stand and look in the past, the further you're going to see in the future. So in other words, if I can stand and look and see the success of the past and the failures of the past, that I can look in the future and see what I need to do to be successful or to fail. And I do realize, you know, I, I look at, we, I got a thing the other day that, that just talked about how, uh, you know, that it, it was a, a seminar. You know, when I used to go to, to seminars and stuff, it was about spiritual ministry. Now the seminars are about tech, technology, how to, how to sell your, your church, how to sell. That, that's the new seminar. That's not me. I mean, I can't see myself standing up in a gold suit saying, with a golden Colgate smile saying, come to McCormick's Creek Church. I can't see that. It'll never happen. But I do believe that the same thing that caused revival back 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago, still will work. I don't think God has changed one bit, do you? And I believe the principles are going to apply. Let's just be honest. If we're loyal to those principles that God has established, that He is bound by His Word to give us that. It's not a matter of selling me. It's not a matter of selling anything. And I do believe in some advertisement. There's nothing wrong I need for people to know we're here. But there's got to be limits to all that. Because we get dependent, like we get dependent on people. We get dependent on fads. And we don't want that. Poet John Don expressed a reality here I thought was good. And, and, and we need to think about this. He said, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a cloud be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were. As well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own where any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for me. Or thee, rather. So, yes, we are not alone. I need you, you need me. We need each other. We need the unity. But I also know that we cannot take unity. We cannot take, uh, even to the extent of, uh, of, of being able to separate here, what loyalty is. What am I loyal to first? I have to be loyal to God, to His Word first. Then I'm loyal to my family second. Then I'll be loyal to an organization. You got me? And it's the same way with each and every one of us. You're loyal to God first. You're loyal to your family. You don't have to get out there and constantly be with your old buddies and your friends, spending time when you've got a wife and kid at home. We have to, spend, we have to understand where the lines of loyalty are, and we need to abide by them. It's scary how people can just... Change wives, change families, change churches. I mean, they don't even give any think about it. They're just gone. You know, you never, you never hear anything about them. Jonathan was loyal to his father, King Saul. The Philistines had placed a garrison at Geba in order to suppress the Israelites after Saul was appointed king. He amassed an army to throw off the Philistine yoke, and he entered into battle against them at Michmash. Saul's army was small, numbering around 600 people. 600 men against thousands. Saul takes this army, he's, 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 he's kind of off to the side here, and he tells the men, he said, now, he said, until we push these Philistines out, he said, nobody's going to eat a, a bite. And you've got Jonathan, who is by himself with his armor bearer, who they're not sitting in the valley somewhere waiting for something to happen. They're out pursuing thousands of Philistines because he had connected with God first. He had got the ephod. He connected with God. He knew that, that they would be delivered into his hand. And because of that, and because of his, his strength and fortitude and his loyal nature and his faith in God, he was not afraid to go out and do what he did. He went forth and, he, and, and they fled. Thousands of Philistines fled from one armor bearer and one Jonathan because of this. 
And in and, and 1 Samuel 14, 6, it says, There is no restraint. This is what Jonathan was saying. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. He said there's no restraint to God. So it doesn't make any difference if there's 500 of us or 10 of us. God can still use us to have revival in Owen County. It doesn't make any difference. If it can be that way for Jonathan, it can be that way for us. It can be that way for a child of God. And, and regardless, you know, you, you think about you think about what he did. Now, now let's just take this one step further. Jonathan now, he's, he's chased them all. He's tired. Saul has told his army, he said, you can't eat anything. Jonathan and his armor bearer are walking along. They find a honeycomb on the ground. That's unusual, by the way. It didn't always happen this way. Finds a honeycomb on the ground. He picks up the honeycomb. He eats the honey. Other soldiers show up, and they say, hey, he said, your daddy said you're not supposed to eat anything to all these Philistines. Now, he just chased the thousands of them away. Now, you think about what I'm saying here. He just chased all of them away, and he said, now, you, 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 got it, you, got it, you can't eat. And he said, well, daddy's rules are wrong. He said, this army's tired, they're hungry, and they said they've been fighting. He said, let's, let's give them something to sustain them. And, you know, and he's not, and, you know, you take, Saul decided then that Jonathan should, should die for the violation of the king's vow, but the commanders of the Israelite army rescued Jonathan from his father. Jonathan had to, it had in their view brought them victory over the Philistines. Now this placed Jonathan, this placed Jonathan in the same troubling situation as David. This is how these two were pushed together. Saul's carnal ambition, his insane jealousy, put both David and Jonathan in a life-threatening situation. So the mutual dilemma these men faced drove them to each other's company. Nothing bonds people as does a common challenge of a common enemy. <laughs> anybody ever, am I just silly about what I'm about to say here? If I am, just, anybody ever seen families that squabble all the time, just fight, fuss? I know your family, <laughs> they just fuss and feud all Oh, I see. You know, all, all the time, fuss a few. But you take you take an outside influence that come against one member of that family, and they'll all just pull right together, and they're all buddies again. I mean, I mean really, it happens time and time again. I, uh, according to my last name, I'm of Scottish descent. Okay, Scottish people fought all the time, one clan against the other clan. You put a son on the end of a name. Richardson, Robertson, anything, that, that's, that's Scottish. And they, they fought all the time. It's the reason I've got an affinity to bladed weapons. I love bladed weapons. You know, Scottish like those big claymore swords cut people's heads off. I love to do something like that, but I can't. You know, I just can't do that. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you've got, you, and you, but you know, the thing is that all those clans pulled together when the, when the England come against them. You know, they would pull together and, and fight them because of it. You know, some people, it takes that kind of thing to bring them a common enemy will bring loyalty amongst people. That's one thing you have to... I've learned, I, I've seen that in, in detail through the years. You know, you get people fighting, but if they can get a common enemy, then that two will come together against that common enemy. Now, after the enemy's gone, they may be fighting again. Some people just like to fight. And they're always going to have something. But these two men came together because of a common enemy. And another event that caused Jonathan to gravitate from his carnal father to spiritually hungry David, the scriptures describe King Saul as head and shoulders. Now think about this one too. Was Saul afraid of Goliath because Goliath was taller than him? Now think about it. We can use that in a spiritual sense. If a man has got everything going his way, be a man of God, you know, it can be going his way, and, you know, he's, he's spiritually got it together, but you've got somebody that comes into that congregation or comes in or another, uh, you know, comes in that maybe they've had more spiritual power, they've had more instances of success in spiritual things, then all of a sudden this other guy's cowed down. I'm not as good as. There again, we go back. To the very simple fact, we don't measure ourselves among ourselves. 
God is using me for a particular instance, for a particular thing. I'm going to let God use me. If someone comes around that's better at it than I am, that's got more spirituality than I am, so be it. If it helps you, that's the important thing. That is what we have to know, that, that it helps you and it makes you better. So we, you know, I, I don't know whether that's the case or not, but, but again... It describes Saul as head and shoulders until, you know, until he met Goliath, and he was a greater physical specimen than he is. Now, the Philistine giant taunted the Israelites every day, defying God. Even in this case, Jonathan, who had just chased all these Philistines, was, was, he was cowed by Goliath. One big guy who stood down in the valley and screams at him to send him a man. Personally, I think he was just ugly. I mean, you think about how big this guy was. He was ugly. And you look at something ugly down in the valley, and you don't want to go there. But there's a whole lot of ugly things down in the valleys, folks, and no matter what, we're going to wind up being down in the valley, and there's going to be ugly things there. But you got David, who was just, a, you know, however his age was at this particular time. We're not going to go there and try to figure all this out. But, you know, the fact remains that he had enough faith to go down there and to, and to chase or to kill, to, you know, to, to go down and to, and to kill Goliath. And, and, and prove that regardless of who you are, regardless of how old, how young, whatever you may be, and regardless of what kind of weapons you've got, you can still defeat whatever enemy is there. And every one of us have to understand that. But the, the key here is that we see, we see another situation where, where, you know, this young challenger comes up and does this. And, and, and we battle again. We battle daily to suppress and conquer our carnal giants. David's formula is as timeless as his battle with the Philistines. He said, I come to thee in the name of the Lord. Often in the Old Testament when confronting situations, men and women of God called upon, upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Goliath had four brothers. This is, this is, again, we're, we're, we're looking at the, at the fact of loyalty and how that, that all this pulled, pulled Jonathan towards David. God placed him there for a purpose. Goliath had four brothers, and they too were giants. However, David's initial confrontation had already established a president. Now, if you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to get this. There's a president that's established here, and that president is this. The first one is the worst one. And that's not in your marriages. Okay? The first one is the worst one. The first battle that you have to have, if you're a new convert, whatever you may be, the first battle is the worst battle. The more that you learn, the more giants you face, the easier they fall. The bigger the situation, it's not giants after you live for God for 30, 40, 50 years. You can handle those giants. It's those little things. Really, the old saints of God, the worst thing they have to contend with is children and grandchildren making mistakes. You know, that's what they have to contend with. And you try to help them through it, but sometimes you just got to let them go through and do what they do. So anyway, he, you know, the fact is they chased the Philistines from their borders. And from that time forward, giants no longer threaten them. Now, after King Saul praised David for his heroic valor, the Scripture records that when David finished speaking with Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul in 1 Samuel 18 and 1. Jonathan recognized the hand of God upon David. Unknown to Saul, Jonathan's loyalty and faith swung to this new hero of Israel. His heart was knitted to that of David. God demonstrates, or, or I'm sorry, there's great demonstrations of faith that profoundly affect others who observe. All believers need spiritual heroes, and I believe that. We, we see our kids, all of them are into the superhero stuff and all the stuff that's going on with superheroes anymore, uh, stuff that uh, when I was a kid I used to read comic books about. Now they make movies about it. You know, and, and, and kids are involved. You know why? And, and it, it, it affected me when I was a Because you wanted heroes. You, everybody needs heroes, but what we need is somehow to turn children towards spiritual heroes. You know, we've got to, and I realize that when you read about them in the Scripture, and we need to read about them in the Scripture, but we also need to say, you see what this one had in the Scripture? There's other people out here that are living what that person did in the Bible. You know, we, there, there's no, a lot of times big uh, you know, fireworks that goes on when somebody defeats a giant in their life, but we need to point it out. 
There's nothing more important than showing a child. And, and, and I've, I've, tried to, I've done that with, with my grandkids. You know, I say, I'll say, look at this person in the church. I said, look what they, they've gone through, hardships they've gone through, surgeries they've gone through, sickness that they've gone through. But they're still serving God. They're not upset. They're still, that's a hero. That's a hero that's not backed down in the face of adversity. Believe me, there are spiritual battles that we face every day, each and every one of you, that are much greater than any superhero will ever face. Superman may be able to knock a planet out of orbit, but he never could touch a devil that we can whip. Now you just stop and think about it. You know, that's the, and that's the people. It's the people who stay married. It's the people who continue to, to, to work and to fight for their children. It's the people who every day live a life and they show loyalty to one another. They show loyalty to, to God. They show that we need to point those out as heroes. That's the, that's the key. Jonathan had recognized the hand of God on David, and that was important. And, and David... Going on, faith, you know, faith must be meaningful and alive. And if we're, we're to inspire others by example uh, to exercise their faith, I need to not just, uh, just, just, just say it, but I need to live it. I need to live it. Just um, uh, day before yesterday, um, <laughs> yeah, I, that flu stuff that's going around I hit Krista and her whole family all at once. And... Uh, not she didn't call me, Jason didn't call me, but Samuel called me. And he said, he didn't ask me to come over. He said, pray for me. He said, I, I'm, he said I'm throwing up. He said, I, I, it's, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, I, he had to listen to it. It was about an hour of a dissertation about throwing up and other things that you don't want to hear about. And, um, you know, and he said, pray for me. And he said, because when you pray for me, I know I'll be better. And, and I did. And he was. I mean, he it qu- just quit. The rest of them were sick. <laughs> you know, and it quit. That childlike faith is something you need to look into. You really do. You need to look into that. Because it, it just quit. And, and that's, but he, now it's, it's, a, it's a granted whenever he feels bad. If it's a headache, he calls me. You know, and but he's got he's got faith in my prayers. You understand? There's a concept here in, in loyalty. We, we, we've got to be loyal to people that you know they they got to look at you as a man of God. Whether you're uh, whether you're a, a man sitting in the congregation or a minister, it doesn't make any difference. They got to know it's not just a matter. And, and I'm careful how I say this. It's not just a matter of having faith in God. It's having faith in the person that can touch God. And every, any one of us can touch God. But we have to have faith in that person. That's important. That is one reason, and you've heard me, and I'm going to say this again. That is one reason I don't like to go down and lay hands on people all the time. Because if it's just a matter of me laying on hands and they're never healed, I want to feel it. I want to feel it in my spirit that God's going to do that. That increases your faith, not necessarily just in me. And the fact that I'm going to, it's going to happen, I don't care who does it. What I care is that it gets done, that somebody is healed. That's, that's the important thing. That is the that's the and then that that you know that that pushes a loyalty uh, into a play as well. Saul then became increasingly insane, and when David returned from killing the giant, the minstrels went before him and saying, "Saul has slain his thousands; David has slain his ten thousands." Saul was accustomed to having. His servants fawn upon him, and his, his sycophants exaggerate his great military power. Now, now this son of Jesse went in and out before all of Israel and was greatly loved. And you know, all of a sudden, you've got somebody that's greater than he is. And he didn't like it. So this biblical narrative shows a, a strange progression that led to that dangerous depression that would plague, plague King Saul for the rest of his life. Saul's jealousy goaded him to command his generals and servants and even his son, Jonathan to take the life of David in, in, in hopes of, of, of provoking the Philistines to kill David he gave his second daughter Michal to be married to David the dowry he required was a slaying of 100 Philistines so David went out and he killed 200 so it didn't bother him then Saul put David over his army hoping the enemy would target and kill him. This only made David even a greater conquering hero. King Saul sent three war parties down to Samuel's house to kill David. Each time a spirit of God came upon them and they prophesied. And finally Saul himself went down to kill David. And God cast him 
upon the ground. There, slain in the spirit, Saul began to prophesy. Apparently, his final stage of insanity came from God himself. It came to pass on that morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul in 1 Samuel 18 and 10. Paul later wrote to the believers in Rome about the affliction suffered by those who refused to acknowledge God. And that's, you can see this in Romans 1. And it says this, And even as they did not like to retain God and their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. This is where we see the unnatural affections that are going on in our society today. Men with men, women with women. And we see this from this because God actually, after so long a time, when a person fails to, to acknowledge this, this, the danger here is that the fact that people begin to see it as not wrong. That's what I started this whole teaching with. When people no longer see things that they're doing as wrong. It's one thing. I, I'm sorry. Whether you agree or disagree, I don't care. I can handle anybody that comes up to me. I don't care what they're doing. Come up to me and tell me I know what I'm doing is wrong. But when they come up to me and try to justify what they're doing, I can't handle that. I cannot handle that. That bothers me to no, uh, you know, to, to no extent. You would never understand how much it bothers me. I, I always agree with a person. I, you know, I, I've said this too before. I used to have a guy that was late to work all the time. And, you know, I used to go up to his house and get him out of bed. And he would tell me he was up drunk all the night before. And he said, I'm sorry. He said, I, I was out drunk and no excuse. I kept him working. But you've had somebody come to me and told me his dog got run over, then I'd fire him. You know, the difference is, is he, there's no excuses here. You know, just tell me the truth. I hate it when someone keeps trying to, because it's an, it's an insult to God, it's an insult to me, and maybe it's my ego. It's like people who come to me and tell me about someone else's faults in the congregation. Forgetting that about five years ago they came to me and I had to deal with the situation that they had. And they said, why don't you do something about this or do something about that? Well, I didn't do anything about you. Now, you understand what I'm saying. I, 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 I'm insulted because people think my memory is that bad. It's one thing, you know, well, God's forgiven me. Yes, well, do you think God will forgive them? I need to throw this around a little bit, see if I can get this. Yeah. Yeah. You never stop me. You know, pastors that's been around any length of time have observed this terrible condition that often possesses backsliders because you get people out there that have backslidden and they begin to believe a lie and they can be damned as a result of it. Not everybody that backslides is necessarily those people in that category. It's people who, again, begin to make excuses. And before long, they have gone so far over the line that they can never come back. Saul's depression was something that uh, sometimes alleviated by David's coming in and playing his harp. However, at other times, Saul's obsession to destroy David became so great that he tried to kill him by throwing a javelin at him. We all know, if you've been around, that according to Eastern law, that he, if you get thrown, a javelin thrown at you by a king, you have a right to pick that same javelin up and throw it back. And you see that he never, David never, nor Jonathan, because of thrown at Jonathan, neither one of them ever threw it back at him. There was a loyalty to that position. When Jonathan tried to speak well of David, Saul again cast his spear at his own son and called him the son of a rebellious woman. When a water party came to kill David at his home, his wife Michael helped him escape and arrange a dummy in his bed as she pretended David was sick and could not come out. Finally, David and Jonathan laid a plan to escape. David was so weary of Saul's pursuits that he said to Jonathan, there is but a step between me and death. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 3, the two men arranged for a signal that would, that would let David know if he could leave the country to escape from Saul. If Saul spoke well of David, Jonathan's servant lad would chase Jonathan's arrows to the near side of a pile of stone. If Saul spoke of killing David, the young boy would chase the arrows to the far side of the pile of stones. So when Jonathan signaled that Saul would pursue David to kill him, David fled. He escaped, but not before he met Jonathan one last time, and the two shared a moment of sad departures. Saul's jealousy caused a permanent separation of two best friends. And it's small wonder that Solomon observes, He set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as a grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have most vehement flame. And, and Song of Solomon 8, verse 6. You know, they separated. Jealousy separated these two great friends. You know, at that separation, at that separation, Jonathan was so 
in tune and so loyal to the one that God had knit his heart with that he gave him of his cloak. You know, one of the customs at that time, again, was if you were a good friend, you gave him a garment that you had, a piece of armor, something. So he gave him his armor, he gave him his cloak. So when people saw David, they would have seen Jonathan. But it was more to it than that. It's Jonathan recognized him as to be the one who was the next king. He gave him his kingly garments. He was that much in tune and loyal. No matter what. He was going to be loyal to David. Now, what can we do as God's people? What can we learn from this? How can we uh, be better than what we are? Are are we living in such a society anymore that it doesn't make any difference what you do as long as you please yourself? Or should we be to the point now as God's children that the only thing we really want to do, shouldn't we be to that point to where we're going to please God regardless of whether we're going to hold each other's hands up and we're going to help each other and do all we can to encourage my brother to encourage my sister to strengthen the hands of those that are weak should we not be that way or should we just up and say oh I can't do it I'm just going to walk away I'm going to leave I'm going to go backside I'm going to go back to the world God forbid this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you there is nothing greater than this wonderful baptism of the Holy Ghost thank God that I am saved thank God I'm a child of God thank God I have an opportunity to make it to heaven help me one more time to be loyal to the word to be loyal to God and to be loyal to the people that God has placed me in charge of. I'll give him a good hand. Hallelujah. You ever... I'm, I'm, I'm going to close. But this, this loyalty to death, because of the way Jonathan was, Mephibosheth, his son, crippled, was placed at the king's table. Loyalty went beyond the lifetime of Jonathan. I, you know, I I look, I think everybody at one time or the other, I don't don't question God, but you look at things and and you, you realize that God allows things to happen to help us to understand why things happen to us. So we read about things in the Scripture. And it helps us to understand why we go through what we go through. And I look at all that Jonathan did, but yet still, Jonathan was killed and abused by the Philistines. But it didn't matter to Jonathan. He was loyal to David, but he still stayed loyal to some degree to his own father. You know, David was first, but he still stayed loyal to his own father. Family was destroyed, killed, except the son of Jonathan. And they found him, and he was set. So, so that lineage continued, even though Saul did everything wrong, because he had a son that did something right. Now, you think about that. You think about it when you go through hard times and you wonder why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. Maybe it's all because, you know, somewhere along the line. I I don't know. I don't know what kind of curse. Sometimes we've got family curses that go back for a long time, and we somehow just pick them up. Some of you who were raised Catholic can't quite get the Catholic out of your system. You believe you deserve what you get. And everybody said amen. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. It's the truth. You get that Catholic mentality, you like to walk around with a whip, beating yourself on the back. You know. I'm not never have been around Catholic, but I have occasions to do that. You know, you keep thinking sometimes, oh God, you know, if I beat myself up a little bit more, do you think things get better? But we don't know what's in the future. We don't know that because of something that we're going through right now that my my son or my grandson may not sit at the king's table. I want to sit there too, but I for sure want them to sit there. So maybe I have to go through this to be sure that they do sit at the king's table. Never discount the power of loyalty. Never discount. There's going to be people, and I've, I've, you think about what Jonathan had to endure uh, because he went against Saul's. So, you know, he went against Saul. Saul wanted to kill his own son. The commanders talked him out of killing the son. And, and so Saul, or so Jonathan had to endure some people whispering about him, talking about him, even though he'd done a wonderful thing 
for Israel. I mean, he chased the Philistines away. Still, he went against his father's wishes by eating a honeycomb. So he had to endure some hard times. When he, 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 his soul was knit with David's soul, I guarantee you that he was, he was given a hard way to go. People, there were people that knew about it. But it didn't bother him that he was talked about. It didn't talk, bother him that he was ridiculed. Anybody ever been ridiculed for being apostolic, Pentecostal, truth-loving people? Of course we have. If you haven't been ridiculed, you've not been... That's the problem, I still say to this day, until, we, until they quit accepting us. You see, we got accepted. Yeah, we got accepted. Now we're just like a mainline denomination. It used to be that that wasn't the case. You know, they used to come to churches and do all kinds of things to people. Now we're just another church. I'm not another church. I'm not. And, and until we can accept that and realize that we need to go forth, I don't want to be, I don't want to, the world accepts me, I can't change the world. I want to change the world. And one thing about it, I still believe and I will hold to this to the day that I die. If people come in here, I either want them to love me or hate me. There's no in-between. Because if I get on your toes and you hate me, I don't want to do it purposely. I just want to preach the truth. I'm not trying to make people mad. I don't intend to. But if the truth causes somebody to be angry, so be it. I don't like that gray area where, oh, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. Let's make people love us or get so convicted they hate us and then God can still deal with them. But when they accept that, there's a barrier that goes down and they can't think about it. When somebody dislikes something that was preached, they'll think about it. They'll check into it. If somebody likes it, then they'll check into it. But when somebody just accepts it and say everybody's okay, they don't do a thing. God help us be that way. Let's stand. Tonight they're having, a, having our Christmas special concert concert to get it right concert and i'm in between there i don't know what i'm gonna preach on let me preach on this again give you a double header no i got some other things to do but just for a short time you know i uh, and i'll say this tonight again probably but i i know that and i always like to make mention of this and i think we all should be aware I know that December 25th was not even close to when Jesus was born. I was just checking, and I got a, I had a book years and years ago called The Two Babylons, and I thought that uh, I wouldn't be able to get one. I knew they went high, and I, Lori got on Amazon Book, and she found some copies of it, used copies. So I got it again, but it's written years and years ago. All the good stuff was written years ago. Uh, and, um, and, you know, it just tells about the various things. But, uh, you know, we, we know that it wasn't. Most people say that Jesus was born around the 1st of September, which goes along with what the Scripture actually teaches. But the thing is, and what we're going to do, is the Savior came into this world to bring us joy. And, and I believe more than anything else, you know, the joy of salvation. When I say joy, I'm not just saying, you know, well, what do you mean? I'm talking about real joy. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy, knowing that you're saved, knowing that you can be saved. That's true joy. And, and he came to give us that. And that's what we sing the knowledge. When, when Sunday comes and we're with family, it should be a joyful occasion. That's what I'm trying to get at. You know, we have, we have so many things that try to separate us from our families. We have so many, you know, sometimes it just pays to keep your mouth shut, your eyes open. You don't have to defend anything. You don't have to do nothing. Just love everybody. Try that. Try it. When that, uh, that, when that aunt or uncle who just gets on your nerves like crazy comes around and they've been nipping at the flask before Christmas, you know, that's what, that's what December 25th used to be about, folks. I, I'm not talking about, yeah, that's what it used to be about. So don't, don't think that's unusual. You know, just smile at them, tell them you love them, and that you'd like to see them come to church sometime. You might be surprised. They'll either cuss you out or love you. And you know what? It doesn't make a bit of difference, does it? We got a Savior, and He came to give us joy. And that's what's important. Lord, we thank You for Your blessings, and we thank You for all that You've done. And we ask, God, that You would help us, strengthen us, be with us. Bless us in all ways, I ask here this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, bless you.